Hey everyone, it's Carla Muller and Sam Owen here on Bullshit and Bravery, your podcast aimed to improve mental well-being in our primary sector through sharing real experiences. A big thank you to our sponsor, the Waikato Rural Support Trust, for funding this pilot, which includes six episodes. The views shared in this podcast are those of the hosts and the guests, not the Waikato Rural Support Trust. The content discussed in this podcast may be triggering and relate to mental health challenges such as depression, postnatal depression, anxiety and suicide. Please seek help if you're triggered by any of the content in these podcasts. Right, Carla, before we uh, get to our much anticipated guest, what are we seeing on the ground out there? So for me at this time of year, it's around a couple of things. It's been a tough season out there financial-wise. We know a lot of people have some really good pasture growth out there, which is great. It's been a, a good summer for some in the country. But we need to make a plan for our financials for next season. We need to consider, you know, for dairy guys, if they should be milking on or starting to dry off, you know, are they actually making money from milking on now or do they need to look after their cows? And that will be entirely individual for each farm business. So make the decision that you need to make, not the one your neighbour's making. And I think the other thing as well um, for sheep and beef and dairy is, you know, it's somewhat of a quieter time coming up over the next few months, maybe as we get into winter. And so actually, you know, do you need to plan for some time off farm? You know, do you actually need to spend a bit of time with your family, go for a long weekend away, whatever it might be, just to recharge your own batteries? Yeah, for sure. I mean, different strokes, different folks, you know, wooden carvers and things might be hopefully have got away before they start hitting the ground. But yeah, so what's on the horizon are, you know, financials always front and centre with the interest uh, rates the way they are, trying to, you know, making a few decisions there, whether you lock in at a higher rate but know what you're going to get, whether you're going to play the floating market or not, and hopefully it's on the on the lower side and keeps going down. And, um, yeah, I think just moving forward, you know, um, we're looking at new staff for the upcoming season. Are they locked and loaded? You know, what's the housing arrangement and accommodation look like? Are you providing them with adequate health and safety programs to go in and start? And that includes your mental health program as well. I think that's that's something that probably needs to be, you know, looked at before they start hit the ground running and yeah, they arrive. Absolutely. You know, it's something we do in the in the business world is when you employ someone, you ask how they want to be managed and what they need to be successful in their job. It's no different on farm, you know, set your team up right from the start. Yeah, 100%. And, um, you know, if you, you create a good framework at the start and keep them, you know, energised and keep them uh, well rested in the time where you, it's um, viable to, it creates a good dynamic moving forward. Yeah, look after them when you can and then they'll look after you when they need it. Exactly, yep. Good as awesome. Gone. All right, well, let's get into our guest then. Our next guest on Bullshit and Bravery is a, a man of many talents, a, a Waikato boy who has expanded his horizons quite rapidly since COVID and is now the master and commander of Restore Native Nursery in Cambridge, a Xander McDonald finalist and a very good supporter of the Rural Support Trust, especially in the Waikato. Welcome along, Adam Thompson. G'day, Sam. G'day, Carla. Thanks for joining us, Adam. And I guess we'll just jump straight into it. So basically, we're all on here to talk about rural mental health and mental wellbeing. What's your story? It's a bloody good question. It's an ongoing journey, as everyone is, probably in the mental health space. And we've sort of alluded to in the past, it sort of becomes not only my mental health, but but the team we look after as well and, and, and protecting everyone in that space. Probably my worst thing, and a lot of people probably empathise with this, is I try and do too much. 
So it's commit to everything, say yes, work it out later type of mentality, which is great because you get a whole lot done. But the problem is with that is you overload yourself with so many things and you're not always fully capable of dealing with those things. You burn yourself out and then it's sort of working out. I think this is there when I talk about the ongoing journey, it's what are those signs of burnout? What are your levers to pull when you put yourself in a situation where, you, where you've committed to too much and, and how do you sort of rebuild back from that? So um, probably for anyone who knows me, I'm pretty out there, wave my arms around, uh, talk to lots of people, talk a lot of shit. But I just love being at home by myself and by myself. Like I love hanging out with my kids and, and that, but I just love going out in the bush and being by myself and recharging and that's recharge time. So I've certainly got better in recent years in terms of understanding when the pressure comes on and when I need to just check out. And I've gotten a little bit better at asking for help in terms of taking some of the burden off because especially, you know, we're sort of running three or four different businesses. And and so although amazing managers in those businesses, uh, for the most part, it's a case of kind of people can support you, but at some point you actually just need a break um, and you need to put your hand up and go, hey, can you take that over? And not being a control freak and trying to own everything. So so it's a... Um, for me, very much an ongoing journey in terms of protecting yourself um, and understanding what those things are that you can pull those levers. Yeah. So a lot there, a lot there to unpick. Sorry. What <laughs> What are your signs of burnout? Like your personal signs? Yeah. Um, look, probably even just going back to just before Christmas, I will literally wake up in the morning and not be able to drag myself out of bed. And this is part and parcel of probably getting up early, going to bed late, and I've got this sort of balance of practical work and then office work. So you wind up starting work early in the morning um, and then burning the candle at the other end and then you just get to a point where actually now you're buggered. And so you wake up in the morning and you're just like, you lose the love for getting out of bed and going and doing the thing that you love. Yeah. But like that's so manageable. Um, if you see the signs, that is so manageable. So for me, it manifests itself like that. I also, if I've got a full day of meetings, some days I'll look at that and I'll go, oh, fuck, I just can't. You know, I just can't deal with going out and having to be on. Yeah. And that's when I know, cool, okay, great, time to apply the brakes, time to change the gear so that we can still be functioning at a high level next month. So that that for me is the big thing and I think that's the thing I've gotten really good at as things have gotten harder and harder, well, harder and harder, but, you know, more and more challenges in my life, I've gotten had to get better and better at knowing when to put on the brakes, knowing when to pull the lever. I think that's a really important one there when you get out of bed and you've lost the love to do that, you know, and, and so many farmers will say this too, you know, it's gotten too hard to just face each day and we know that's when they've they've gone too far and they're really struggling at that point. And so we need to work out how we can help them before that point, right, and how they can help themselves by recognising their own signs and also their, their community around them. So you, you've got a partner, you've got kids. Do they pull you up on any of that type of stuff? Yeah, um, so I've got an interesting journey. So I split with my wife a few years ago and – you know, to say the stress of what we were trying to do is not part of the reason for that would be a lie. Like that's, I guess, me saying this, like, you know, you just want other people to hear that and understand that actually maybe you don't hate your partner. Maybe you're just in a bit of a shitty mental state. Um, and I'm, you, I'm sure you, you guys and a lot of people listening would feel the same way that they've, <laughs> they've gone, oh, if you, you're the problem. You know, really, really happy now and, and totally agree, both me and my ex-wife would agree that, that we're in a better place now than we were. But... Like, not for everyone is the solution to just go and get a divorce. <laughs> um, so, but the lessons you learn in that journey too, you know, is is really important. And like Claire, my partner, absolutely amazing. Um, really good for me in terms of um, balancing me out because I can be a bit up and down. And she kind of knows the signs and, and she is good at sort of being like, hey, do you need to do that? Or if I say, hey, and, and I turned around to her six or eight months ago and she had a cousin's wedding and we were going to be traveling away and I was like, 
I actually can't do that. Like I've, I've had like, I've worked 18 days straight. I'm buggered. I'm, you know, like I actually just need to stay at home and have a sleep and read a book. I need to go for a walk in the bush. I'm, like I need to do this. Yeah. I can't go to your cousin's wedding. Yeah. And she's really supportive. I feel really bad about that. But at the end of the day, it recharges my batteries and we keep going. We had an interesting guest on last time and, you know, she said something that stuck with me was sometimes the things that you're agonising over and feeling really terrible about aren't actually as big a deal to those around us as we might think. Yeah. No, and that's it because they realise that this is a, you know, for a very short-term problem, we can solve it very quickly. And the other thing you sort of mentioned in terms of the kids, like my kids are seven and five, and one thing out of that marriage breakup. I've made them a massive priority. I built a new house and built the house in a way that I could live in with the kids in a way that I wanted to have the interaction for my kids to grow up. That was a really cathartic experience. I'd recommend it to anyone if you're going through a relationship breakup. <laughs> build, build a house. Build a house. <laughs> yeah, and build a house in the way that you want to live your life. And don't listen to anyone else's rubbish. Go and think about the way you want to live your life and go and build it like that. So we built a house on the edge of the bush. You know, I make it a priority that, you know, we're 50-50 secure the kids. And I make it a priority to go and pick them up from school on the days when I don't have them, I work really hard. And the days when I do, yep. I'm present. That's Set, a really important. Setting those boundaries, right? Working out what your values are and what you need and setting those boundaries. And, you know, it's so easy said, but it's actually really important that we all do it as well. Yeah. yeah and I think that's the whole thing, right? So I think Stephen Tindall used to have it on the warehouse. It used to be the most valuable thing you can spend on your kids is time, right? Because that's you, you can't get time back, right? Money comes and goes, asset, houses, toys, everything comes and goes. But the time you spend with your kids – you just never get back. And, you know, I've got teenagers that are probably going to head off to uni in the next 18 months, two years. And now you're kind of like, well, this might be the last overseas holiday we go as a family because they might be too old or not want to hang out, hang out with a boring dad and a boring mum. And I think also in that rural context, again, you know, be it, be it you know, as you've got Adam in a nursery business or, you know, a practical farming business, but what's, you know, if you want your kids to come back and take this over, they've got to enjoy it too. And the best way they do that is by getting out there and enjoying it with you. Mm. And and that's a really interesting thing because um, I'm not from a family farm situation and, and it's, it's great because I've got no desire for my kids to take over the farm. <laughs> you know, like the farm or the nursery, great. They're there for them to enjoy. They're there for them to work on holidays there. But I want them to carve their own path um, and I don't want them to feel any pressure from me about, you know, like um, more importantly, I'm excited about them being as passionate about something as I am about the nursery, say, for example, and them wanting to pursue it. And maybe I have an opportunity to join them on that journey rather than the other way around, you know. And I see a lot of that now in our generation. Mm. And it's kind of like farming's changed. And our generation don't want to farm the way our parents farmed oftentimes. And they want to go and do their own thing. And I see those challenges. I see the challenges with friends and, and in other parts of the family too. So I think, yeah, I, I see that as part of the mental health journey for our children. Yep. It's not saying, hey, if you want to take this over, it's like here's an opportunity for you if we can build some – some wealth and build build some capital there that we can support you into what you're passionate about. But you've got to pursue your own path. And and I think as you said, being able to get out of bed and enjoy what you do shows them that they can, you know, that someone can be passionate about the work they do, as you say, whatever that might be. And I think that's a really important one to instill in our kids as well. I think it's given those kids a broad spectrum of experience to say there are umpteen paths you can walk down and you don't have to like the first one. I mean, you can walk a path a few times before you find a niche or a a side alley on that road that you actually enjoy and are passionate about. But, and I'm swinging back to the nursery, you carry a, a fair number of staff and they're at different locations at different times with different needs. How do you kind of keep track of that and how do you kind of balance the load for them as well? 
I don't think you can put a price on good people. And that's my number one thing. I don't see the people costs in our business as a negotiable at any stage. It's we will pay our people well and we will form meaningful relationships with our team because I'm a part of their team, they're a part of mine, and that needs to be a two-way street. So if I treated them like I treat the chapter, hey, I just want you to start up and go now and do this thing and then I'm going to chuck you over there and leave you out in the rain, I would expect them to perform like some of my machinery does at times, you know, <laughs> like, like pretty poorly. But um, but I generally give a stuff about the people on my team. And, and I came up with a saying about 10 years ago that if I'm not genuinely proud of someone, they shouldn't be on our team. That's really important because – if I'm proud of you, you're going to show up and be proud of the work you do for our company and I'm not going to have to worry about you performing at the level that that's that we uphold. So as we parlay that down, like when you really give us stuff about those people, some degree of involvement in their personal life is, is a given. You know, like, like you care that they want to buy a house so you can help them toward that or this is their challenge in their family situation. And, you know, like my operations manager is a solo mum and, and, and we just have to be flexible around that. But it's so amazing. She's such an incredible person. She's got this opportunity and we make it happen because she can actually achieve her potential. And I'm really stoked about that. So I think the personal relationship thing is is my way of doing that, but it's because I genuinely give a fuck about those guys. And 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 that's not everyone does genuinely care <laughs> like about their team. So so that solution of, of having some personal involvement doesn't really work for them. But and and I don't. You know, I've got broadly 30-odd staff that report through to me through some degree of reporting line, and I don't have an individual intimate relationship with every one of those people, but they have a person that they have a, a really close relationship with within our team, and we will see the signals of, oh, they're challenging, they're, they're struggling a bit here, um, what can we do to help? So, and, and whatever small thing you can do as an employer, far out it can make a difference. Take a day off. Here's the keys to my batch to go and take your partner away for the weekend. Here's a, you know, well, I wish I had a batch to do that. But, uh, but, you <laughs> know, saying, but, can I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but, but whatever it is, you know, like, in, and um, I go out working, got a new girlfriend, he goes, oh, can I take her up to your bush hut and your farm? I'm like, yeah, for sure, you know, like, like and and so you make sure of that and then you, you know, here's a bottle of wine, take that when you go, you know, like you want to make them have positive experiences and, and that all helps, you know. Yeah. It just comes back to giving a damn, right? Well, and something we've we've uh, come across in podcasts previously is say the nice thing, right? If a person's done a good job or a person has taken pride in what they've done, reward them even if it's just a compliment because compliments are few and far between and they can just lift their game or lift their confidence to do a even better job or the same level of workmanship continuously from there on. Mm. And there's science out there in terms of that too, like, like people are happier when they act in service of others. So, so if you do something positive for someone else, like, you know, you're going to be happier. And, and that's part of the mental health thing as well. If you become really self-centered, and sometimes this is hard, right? Like, I, And I accept that I haven't probably gone to those deep lows in terms of mental health of spiraling the mind into negative places the whole time, but definitely where you can maintain that positivity and, and those and the people around you and, and do things for them, say positive things. It's, um, and I'm... I prefer it straight. I go, sorry, Sam, your shorts are ugly. Um, but gosh, your hair looks great today. You know, like, like, because that's a reality, you know. Well, and, and I actually hair. love your shorts. So. And what hair? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what hair? I don't know why Adam's laughing because he goes to the same barber. So. Um, but anyway, you know, coming back to that whole mental health thing, I think 
when you operate a big team, you're going to have polarizing ideas and polarizing personalities. And it's trying to actually take that to a level where not one size fits all, but you can have a set of kind of mental health kind of structure that everybody can be, a mental health umbrella that everybody can stand under. And I think understanding your staff or having a bit of personal knowledge creates a more robust umbrella and a more robust plan that if that person's then taken sick or if that person's struggling with trying to get the kids off to school in time, you can adjust and have that flexibility in your business to allow those people not to be stressed because of that thing and still get them productive. And I think we're seeing that more in the primary industry every day where people will go, so you can't start work till 10, but you've got to have to child care. You milk the afternoons, I'll milk the mornings. You know, it's it needs to have that flexibility and that flexibility then becomes a huge part of the mental welfare of your staff. Yeah, and I think I think more than that as well, as you said, Adam, understanding the challenges that they might be going through in their personal life, right, helps you pick up a situation before it snowballs. So before one of your staff members gets to one of those really low lows, you might have been able to see some of the signs before because you actually understand them and know them a little bit as a person. You can intervene earlier, hopefully a better outcome for everyone involved, right, yourself as well as the person. Um, so good business sense as well as just being a good person. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember talking to someone who had a large business and they said, sometimes the village needs an idiot and you have to take that idiot to yourself because if you can be responsible for the mistake you've got and own up, it makes everybody accountable as well. And yeah, it was just that sometimes I'm the village idiot because I've gone back to trailer in the wrong place or put something in the wrong place or put fuel in the wrong bike or whatever. But it then shows that I'm accountable for that as well. So then it lessens the pressure and lessens the mental anxiety on my staff to own up when they've screwed and up. And it's okay to make mistakes. It's yeah. okay to make mistakes. It's okay to ask for help, right? Like how many mistakes have we all made in our lives, right? If, even just today, I'm sure there's something that we've all been like, oh, oops, could have done that differently, could have done that better. But it's a reality, part yeah. of being human, right? And we can't crucify everyone for that because then they don't talk about it. Then they just get stuck in the head. And that's the thing I talked a little bit about earlier, about you don't have to be in control of everything and everyone. And I, and I think, you know, you put a lot of pressure on yourself in those situations. And like I say good people, you delegate some of that authority. All that pressure isn't actually, although ultimately the buck stops with you, all pressure isn't all on you. So how have you learned to, to hand off control? Because it's something that I really struggled with and having a baby really put that one in perspective for me. But how have you learned to hand off control? I'm, sounds weird, but I'm in love with failure. Mm. Uh, like I just think failure is just the most amazing thing. It teaches you so much. It shows you tried. So I don't, care if we stuff something up i just love giving it a spin therefore or is that person capable of doing that i don't know let's see you know we'll create a safe environment for them to fail in and then they go and do it and they do 80 percent, and they fail on the other 20 but i've we've had a support network around them and then that's how you build people because like if you employ good people they've inherently got a lot of capability and then you just have to trust them. And you also just have to accept that, like we said before, you're not getting it right 100% of the time. So if they get it right 90% of the time, you're, that's actually happy. We're happy about that. So, And then we take failure as a lesson all the time. So we're just like better every day, you know, like in our team. And, and that's, if I give you a responsibility, I don't expect you to get it right perfect first time, but I expect you to want to be better every day. And I'm really happy if you fail because that means we can learn something. I think that's one of the big challenges too when I think about, you know, farmers day-to-day on the farm struggling with their mental health is that they the more challenges they have 
the less likely they are to trust other people and hand off that control, right? So they shrink back into themselves and kind of get themselves more and more stuck in that rut and, as you say, spiral down into those places. And it's, as you say, how do we recognise those signs early, put the structures in place to actually enable them to do that? Yeah, and and I think the thing is there is if you've got someone on farm, you want to go away for a weekend, that's the ultimate goal, well, you need to start by showing them some really basic stuff. You know, like, like some stuff that if they fail, it doesn't matter. Put up a fence halfway down that paddock. And if they put it up two-thirds of the way down that paddock, well, shit, you have to go and pull it out later and put it down. You know, no one's going to die on that. You show them a bit of the milking machine. You show a bit of the operation because your view is that eventually they're going to be able to do it all. Um, but some people do nothing. They don't educate people. They don't empower their team. And then eventually they need to hand that ball off and the person drops it because they've got no experience. And, you know, so, you know, and this has been my dad's, Way it was probably his generation's way of approaching it was like was a bit like oh well I'm you know single swim thing you know that like like and he's oh I'm doing it um, and it's like yeah but in his later years he got better at like oh you give that a go so like, oh, you fucked it up you know but like but I used to be terrified that I do something wrong you know whereas I said everyone on my team is like go on, go and make a mistake see what we learn tell me what you learn yeah and if there's no nothing learned then it is a genuine mm. you know, frustration point. And, and we under we underestimate people's transferable skills. You know, like especially in my nursery team, I've got these people from all of these other, you know, other occupations coming in. And it's like, well, actually, cool. You're a school teacher. You've had to plan. You're really organized. Cool, we're going to give you some organization and planning. You'll do really well at that. You go, I manage the supermarket. It's like, you're great with inventory. Of course. Okay, well, you can manage the nursery stock, you know. like So these are really like, yeah, you look at people and go, what are you good at? And and it's interesting to talk about the parenting thing. And it's like, you know, your husband's a farmer. Well, he can deal with shit, you know, like <laughs> no matter how messy it gets or whatever, you know, like, and you just need to be like, oof, you know, like, like and, and that was a challenge, I know, for us raising our kids, that stuff. And it's obviously not your journey, but yeah, I don't know. You just have to be willing to give people a chance to, to fail. Yeah. And I think that's exactly right, you know, even with your children, right? If they fail, you go, well, perhaps you shouldn't have climbed three rungs up the ladder. Perhaps two is a good step, you know, and in doing that sort of stuff. And my um, son's been uh, hunting and I can, I butcher the things for him, but there's no point in me just sending him to bed and I'll just butcher it on my own. You get him to show. So then next time he'll butcher it and literally he will probably butcher it to a point where we have to feed it the dogs. <laughs> but, you know, There'll always it's, be more hairs. Yeah, and there'll always be another time to practice. But he has to learn that that cut doesn't go that way. You can't, you know, swipe the knife that way, and it's a learning process. So, Adam, what would be your biggest thing that you're seeing at the moment that's stressing out farmers and people in the rural communities? It's hard to move past the financial space. And, and I, obviously, 15 years in financial background, I think everything links back to money one way or another. And, and if all of us had ultimate money, we would have ultimate time and we would have low pressure as well. So when you've got that heat on and, and the overlay that that puts on, not only your business, but then, you know, home life and, and the other things that come down from it. And, and then people stepping away from doing the things that they think are nice to have, taking a bit of time for themselves. We're probably quite fortunate, especially in the tree space, that we're dealing with quite a progressive end of the farmers. You know, people who are environmentally progressive tend to be progressive in a lot of other areas in their farming. So we've got people with really good rosters and we've got people who probably are a bit reasonable well you know we've got people who are actually scratching together a little bit of money to do something so and and we're having those conversations and and budget options for people but but the financial pressures out there are hard ones to deal with but money is so manageable you know like like the weather 
you just don't know. We don't know what it's going to be next week, right? Yeah. But money, we totally can manage that. And people go, oh, but we know what the payout's going to be. Well, just do eight different spreadsheets at eight different payouts. Sorry, like, it's not that difficult. You just need to go and front up and do the work. You're willing to front up and do whatever other work it is. So just front up and do the work to do a bit of planning. And that just removes, we only fear what is unknown. And, and I think that is a real problem that I see with a lot of people. And I'm not just talking about farmers. This is business in general. That they'll go, oh, but we don't know. It's like, well, you can know that. So go and know it. And as soon as you know what those variables are going to look like, you can remove so much of the stress. So that, that's my advice for people. You know, like I say, it's, it's coming from a place of experience in the financial sector and seeing a lot of businesses, not just rural businesses, that if you plan, you look at where your numbers are at, you can remove a lot of your stress because all of a sudden you have control over it. Yeah, one of the first ever rural support cases I went to was a farmer, and she's, and it resonated me from the moment she said, it, "She said you can't farm on a maybe." Yeah. And those eight spreadsheets give you a range of maybes, but when that number is hit, you've got a definite answer, right? And quite often in the mental health scheme of things, the maybes are what troubles you. The maybes and the churning of the maybes, maybe this, maybe that just having a definitive answer, and I think I've talked about it before, a bit like a broken record, having a definitive answer is somewhere you can build from. Whether it's good or bad, you can build from it. Like going back a little bit to your experience and doing something, you have to learn the lesson, whether it's a good outcome or a bad outcome, because otherwise it's a wasted lesson. And I think farming on a maybe, you can't farm on a maybe, is just, it's probably my mantra now. And I, and I, I say it to my kids, I say it to my, some of my business partners, you just can't go, maybe you'll be there, maybe there. Go down one avenue and make a robust plan because you've got a starting point. And, and I think coming from that financial services background, I've got a bit of a, I see a lot of farmers who cross over the fact of business advice and say financial advice from those people within their networks. So, and speak out of turn here, Carla, Carla but um, like, you know, you're, you're a farm consultant, you're a rural banker, you're an accountant. Be really clear about the information you need from them and define that for them because they'll appreciate that too. Mm. This idea that your rural banker is going to be able to give you full advice on everything financial, it's like maybe you just need to go and ask them some questions related to finance. Maybe you need to talk to your accountant about budgeting. You don't need to know how to do that Excel spreadsheet, but ask them specifically what you need. And if they give you some advice and they go, oh, well, actually, you should be running a young stock over, you're like, oh, I don't have to listen to that. Yeah. You, you don't have to listen to that, but use those people in your network to get that information. You know? Yeah, absolutely. We use expert vets and we use experts you know, here and there, so why not use them in, in the yep. financial and, you, and planning and side and too? You pay a lot of money out to other things in your in your business and, and, and for a little bit of planning, I think. It, yeah. And, and I'm only, if we bring that back to the mental health thing, it's really about bringing more stuff within your control, make those things definite, bring them within your control. You know? So I've got a quick question before we go into the, the rapid fire. What do you see a lot of links between, because some of the work you do in the planting and we're on the farm relates back to physical health. Do you see a, a direct link between your physical health and your mental health? That's huge for me, like huge. If you look back five years, I was probably flat out, I was making a lot more money, but I was flat out talking on the phone and doing spreadsheets all day in the financial advice space and and but wasn't very healthy and the ability to get outside like plant a tree and you know how it feels like you just never feel better than when you're planting trees so and that's really hard because I, I started out with this vision of I grow a few trees and I plant a few trees and now we've got sort of um I think we have 24 staff on the payroll at Christmas and you're a bit of a fauna addict aren't you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um so for me you know the levers you got to pull mental health wise so so for me one is physical activity hard physical activity for me 
going for a walk is, is lovely and I really enjoy it, especially getting out in the bush, but I actually need to go and push myself because that just wipes the slate clean of any stresses that I have. And squash is my game and I'm going to be going to squash after this. You can play at any time of day, you can play at any weather, you only need one other person. So it's quite accessible in that sense. It tends to be a squash court in most rural areas, which is really cool. It had a time of popularity, we built squash courts. But it's just so bloody physically demanding that anything your brain was telling you before you went in there about stresses you had, and that you come out just a lot clearer. And there's science behind that too, in terms of the putting yourself under hard physical pressure actually you know, helps to clear your mind significantly of stresses that are, are imagined especially. So... That's a really big thing, um, but getting outside is massive. Talk about the kids. I just love getting on the farm with the kids. I love getting in the bush with kids. We do a lot of trapping, and that's just a part of my life that I need to have because, yeah, I'm a lot healthier physically and mentally. And, and let's not lose sight of that too, is that your physical health and your mental health are not two separate things. Oh, if you are a big, doughy, fat person, you know, like, and I've been that person, so I'm not, I'm not casting shade on those people, um, you know, your, your brain, <laughs> maybe I still am, Sam, your brain just it can't function the same way as, as a physically healthy person. So, man, it's hard. I struggle because, like, when I'm flat out and I'm buggered and I've got all these stresses, all I want is to go and get a takeaway pizza or some KFC. Like, but this is where that support network around you is good because Claire will be like, no, I'll cook you dinner. I'll jam something healthy in front of you because you're going to feel a lot better after that than you will after the, the fatty thing. So, you know, like, like looking at that, what can you do for yourself physically and the, and the mental benefits it will pay? I have to ask here, Adam, I've heard some rumours about you and your famous ice bath. Yes. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is, this is a funny thing. So we're um, at the moment, you've probably heard of the 75 hard craze and um, I'm not that hard. So, so we're doing 45 hard because... There's 45 days from starting that to the Zanna McDonald conference that I'm probably going to wind up having a few drinks. So for 45 days, you've got to do two lots of 45-minute exercise a day. You've got to, no alcohol, no takeaways, no chocolate, no chips. And like, that's not a meal for me. It doesn't have chips <laughs> with it normally. So, um, But the other thing is every day I've got to do two minutes in the ice bath. So, um, so last year I actually cobbled together a bit of a sauna. I really enjoyed the heat and the cold. Um, so I go and do 30 minutes in the sauna and then two minutes in the ice bath. I put an old freezer and um, lined it on the inside with a uh, silicon, fill it up, it runs for a couple of hours a day and it, and it sits at zero degrees. And it's amazing. Because, because the, the I'll inter- take your word for that. <laughs> <laughs> but the interesting thing is like um, like when something's hot, it might burn you, it might kill you. That, that's a natural reaction to something, right? Like, but when something's cold, it's just uncomfortable. And, and how many people out there like we don't put ourselves in uncomfortable situations but if you're willing to put yourself like willingly of your own volition into uncomfortable situations you're a lot better prepared when those uncomfortable situations come at you unexpectedly and I think that's for me if the first thing I do in the morning and I've I've done it of icy mornings where there's frost on the grass is going up in an ice bath nothing that day is going to be harder than that you know, like, like it doesn't matter if the cows get out and they're buddy in my trees and I'm furious and, you know, and I'll swear and jump up and down and say F that, but it's not as hard as it was to actually just bloody get out and go on top of that ice bath. So Can, can we consider this podcast like my ice bath? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, I recommend it. And, and it's just doing challenging things, I think, for people. If you, if you can, and that's all it is for me, is mentally challenging yourself because challenges will come at you. And, and we don't have a choice about that, but we have a choice about the preparation we do for those things. So, And, you know, I fall off the wagon all the time in terms of my ability to deal with stuff, 
But when I do, I reach out and I say, hey, you know, like, and, and Sam's been privy to that, you know. I'd be like, hey, Sam, can't deal with the situation on the farm at the moment. Can you help? You know, and, and, and Sam's been a great help. And there are other people in life where I can't deal with that situation there at the moment. Can you help? Because I just keep taking on more things. <laughs> Rightio, we're going to wind this up with a bit of quick fire for you, Adam. So, Carla, you can no, kick I'm, it off. I'm kicking this off. All right. Well, even though you've said you're not drinking, beer or wine? Wine for sure, red wine. Red wine? Ooh, I didn't expect that. Actually. Nah, I'm not a beer drinker, but I love red wine. If you see, next to the fridge when you come to my place and filter beers out of it, Sam, there's a big wine fridge. Have you not looked at that? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I feel this is a bit unfair. Um, steak or salad? Steak. It's important to have both, but... <laughs> I've seen Adam's um, veggie garden. That's why I say because Adam has got a huge, and it is a communal veggie garden for his staff as well. And it is, I've never seen Adam in it. Claire's been in there a few times, but it's a beautiful veggie garden. Uh, I'm a big veggie garden. My family are all big, big veggie gardeners. And the guys at the nursery, they run the one at the nursery. Huge. It's awesome. You know. So, yeah. so I'm going to throw you this one, which you're, you're not going to like this one, but we'll put aside the native aspect. Pines or eucalypts? Uh, eucalypts. Less, <laughs> less, the lesser of two evils. <laughs> no, there's definitely a place for pines. Don't get me wrong. I just, I just don't believe in the, you know, large scale deforestation of farmland. That's, that's all. Sorry, there's a little I bit, love, little bit tricky there when you're native. Bird, I love burning gums. So, cows or deer? Deer for sure. Oh, yeah. Didn't even have to, to think eat about or that. Farm. Maybe <laughs> both. I wouldn't say I farm deer. I've got a little hobby, a little hobby deer herd, but um. I love cows, but uh, and I, and I love eating them, and and, and I don't love sheep. If you give me a sheep <laughs> option, I'd. Uh, I've got insider knowledge. That's why you're all these questions there. <laughs> uh, dear, dear. Vacation or staycation? Staycation. Oh. <laughs> How often do you get the Milford Sand and down there? <laughs> Six trips to Dusky in the last two years. Yeah, that's a really hard one. We, like over Christmas, the best thing. Like, I spent ten days at home, and you spend. So much of your life, especially for me, like building this place to live, you know, I talked earlier really about building a house and and building not just the physical things, but but all the soft things around that. And I love my veggie garden. You know, we planted a big avocado and citrus orchard and and all these other things. And I just love spending time there. And, and so to be there when the world around you was chaos, the few weeks leading into Christmas is chaos, just to stay at home in the place you love and not be surrounded by a bunch of people everywhere, I, I, I when I need to relax, I just hate people being around. It's amazing. But then later on in the summer, we went away to uh, Tiana with the kids and did a whole lot of walking in the bush and then went out to Dusky Sound and no coverage and dived and walked in the bush and, yeah. Nice. Both are hard to beat. <laughs> right, yeah, and, and the final one, and I know which which way you'll probably sing, cat or dog. <laughs> <laughs> See, the interesting thing is, like, I'm not really a pet guy. So the answer would so be goldfish. The, the, the answer out of the two is dog, because fundamentally, I think a cat is just another version of a stoat. And, and, and when it comes to my love of the native bush, we uh, there's just no place on our farm for cats. But yeah, dogs are, um, yeah, you know, I don't know. People are going to think I'm weird, but they get up in the personal space. And like I say, sometimes I just need my space. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if I had to choose one, it'd definitely be a dog. Thank you very much for that, Adam. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on, and we wish you all the best with the year ahead. Thank you, guys. No, always good to have you on. Yep. Cheers, Adam. Awesome. And we'll just quickly wrap up. So, Sam, what has your key takeaways been from talking to Adam today? I think giving people a chance, you know, whether it's 
turns out to be a good or a, a, a poor outcome, it's taking the lessons from that. And I think sometimes we've got to let go of failure. If we've given people the chance and they fail, we have to then reassess how we've guided them into that situation and then look at how we can replan to do it again and, and try and get more success out of that. Nice. Yeah, I, I completely resonate with that one as well. I guess the other two for me would be financials, having, you know, financial plan, you know, as a leading cause of stress in our rural community. So actually managing that proactively and getting the support you need. And then actually genuinely caring about people, people in your team, people in your network, people in your community. You know, it's a, it's a common theme we've had across all our podcasts. They're the people that help you out and you're the person that will help them out. So actually caring about them will help you pick up on all of that stuff earlier and hopefully, you know, prevent situations getting out of hand. Yeah. Perfect. And so just before we wrap up, our guest next time is Jenna Smith, who is a CEO of an iwi-owned agribusiness out in the Hauraki Plains. And she also has a really fascinating story about how her mental health journey has been linked to her physical health and particularly an accident on farm. So we look forward to hearing her story coming up. And in the meantime, like us on Facebook, Bullshit and Bravery, and get in touch if you want to be a guest or you have any comments. Thank you very much for listening. And if you need help or support, please reach out to your local rural support trust on 0800 787 254 or text 1737 or reach out to the Mental Health Foundation. Once again, thank you to the Waikato Rural Support Trust for the support of this podcast. Please like our Facebook page, Bullshit and Bravery, and don't forget to listen to the next podcast episode. Get in touch if you have any feedback for us or if you're interested in being a guest.